We will be in Luke chapter 4, and continuing in our series in the book of Luke, we find Jesus basically on a healing spree, and what we want to do is begin to see why Luke tells us this, and what we are meant to take away by watching Jesus deliver individuals from demons and heal their bodies and preach the word. So what I want to do, I'll read uh, this passage, I'll call out to God for help, and we'll dive right in. Luke chapter 4, beginning verse 31. We'll go all the way to the end of the chapter. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed, and say that next word, Authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent! Come out of him! And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word for with, say that word, authority and, next word, power. He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf and he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You're the Son of God! But he rebuked them. And would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the, what? Say it with me. Good news of the kingdom of God. And I must preach this, he says, to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let me call out to the Lord. Father, take your word and bury it deep within our hearts that we might not sin against you, yes, but that we might gaze upon your beauty and be enveloped by your love. Oh, Father, please. Sweep over us now by your Spirit. Come in power. Strengthen our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over these past several weeks, it has really been a unique season at Treasuring Christ Church. Our people collectively, that is, us as a church body, have actually spent a lot of time in the hospital recently. And it comes in waves, but I was visiting a dear brother in the hospital 
after a surgery uh, just a few days ago. And some of his family members had bought him a little stuffed animal. And it was this monkey that had Velcro hands, and the monkey was hanging off of the edge, and it says, hanging in there. <laughs> and it reminded me of a story that I saw on the news. It was of a children's hospital where children were asked to bring in their favorite stuffed animals. And many of these children had life-threatening diseases or were going to have life-threatening surgeries. And the doctors in this hospital took the time to do the surgery beforehand on the stuffed animal to help this child know exactly what they were going to go through and bandaged up that, an, that little stuffed animal and gave it back to him and said, see, he's okay, and gave it to that child. All this time that was spent to really help this child be able to understand a little bit what they might go through and to calm fears. And I just thought, what a great story. Now, why would doctors do that? Because it's not going to get them more money. Why would they choose to do that? Because, at least these doctors, they knew their aim was to restore life and to help people enjoy life to the full. And they were going to give their time to do so. And what we begin to see here from our precious Savior, the great physician, we begin to see him using his authority and his power and his goodness to restore life, to give life. And so what I'm praying that God would do in this moment is give us faith to trust three things about Jesus. Number one, that we can trust Jesus' authority. Number two, that we can trust Jesus' power. And number three, we can trust Jesus' goodness. Authority, power, and goodness. Let's look at number one. We can trust his authority. Now, let's look at the passage here. It says, and he went down to Capernaum. You could put some maps up for me, brother. That would be helpful. So, Right here, you see the red circle up at the top. This is the general region that we are being focusing in on in the scriptures. It is known as basically this area of Israel, but in the north you have the Sea of Galilee, and you see one of the cities is Nazareth. Okay, go to the next map. Now this is the blow up of that very circled section, and we see that now he is gone to Capernaum, which is the city near the coast in the northern, northern part up there in the Sea of Galilee. And so we read this in verse 31. He goes down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, which is basically the region. And now he's teaching them, as we saw last week, on the Sabbath. This is a common time to do teaching. It's when they gathered in the synagogues. But something stood out about Jesus. And it says, they were astonished. You get this. He stands out over against everybody else that had brought God's word. They were astonished at his teaching. 
for his word possessed authority. Now, what does it mean for his word to possess authority? Well, this idea of authority here is a word that comes to us as as one who is in charge. This sense of government ruling. Jurisdiction has been granted. So you need to think about as his word goes out, it is declaring a domain. It is saying that where my word goes out, I'm in charge. And this is the kind of word that's being used here. It is, they were astonished at how authoritative of how much it He commanded their presence, how beautiful and attractive the word was, but as he spoke, it declared authority. Now, authority is in crisis today. I don't know if any of you have watched the Disney Channel or not, but I spend time watching the Disney Channel with my little girl especially. She loves the Disney Channel. And as I watch that, What is celebrated most of the time is this. Parents are stupid and kids know better. This is a theme that's communicated all over the place. Stupid parents, smart kids. It's fun to laugh at at times, but it is a cultural phenomenon to despise authority unless it agrees with you. That unless the authority in charge is saying what you like, then we have the right to disrespect and take authority ourselves. Our culture doesn't understand submission. We balk at it. And no wonder we want to pick and choose God's commands. No wonder We'll take what he gives us when we like it and we'll put him on trial when we don't. Bosses are the ones that get talked about negatively behind people's backs. Our world is filled with armchair quarterbacks who critique leadership but do not provide solutions and do not seek to support the authority. Now, we know in our broken world and we just heard a testimony that there are broken authorities, right? No doubt, no doubt. And at times, it is appropriate to resist godless authority. However, what I'm afraid has happened is we've thrown the whole concept of authority like you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because here's how God describes authority. 2 Samuel 23, these are the last words we have of David, okay? He's going to say his last words. Whenever somebody says last words, you tune in, right? Must be important. Psalm 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 to 4. Now, these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of a man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So he's just building this platform that David should be listened to. He was an authority and he should be listened to. Now he goes on to make sure that we really listen. 
The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. In case you didn't want to tune in anymore, verse 3 says you still need to listen. I mean, this is going overboard to say, listen to these words. He says, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. And here's what he's about ready to tell us. You ready? When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. His last words are to communicate to God's people that authority that follows after the heart of God is a blessing because that authority's aim is to give life. What do we have here in the scriptures? We have a picture of Jesus whose word is going out and as it is going out, it is a beautiful picture of wonderful authority. Restoring life. Giving encouragement. Proclaiming of good news. Exerting His power such that people receive blessing. So, when His Word goes out with authority, what is this authority well, he goes on later to tell us a story that helps us understand authority. He uses this word again in Luke chapter 7, verse 8. And it's of a soldier who is asking for Jesus to heal someone in his camp. And the soldier says this, Luke 7, 8. For I too am a man set under, say the word, authority with soldiers under me. Now I'm going to describe authority to you. This is what he's saying. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus speaks a word, the people are astonished because it comes with that kind of commanding presence. When God speaks, we do it. That's the natural response. And his authority is meant to be a blessing. It's meant to restore and bring life. It's meant to be like rain showers on dry ground. And let me just insert. Children, it is a blessing for you to obey your parents. The Bible says it's foolish not to listen to them. And it will lead you to a horrible, painful path. But everyone, including parents who are in authority, let's take note from Jesus. Although you might not be able to fix all problems like Jesus could, we can take this from his authority. That he used his authority to serve and to bring life. Just let that be your grid for authority. My aim is to serve and to bring life. Its authority is blessing. His word came out and granted jurisdiction. And that's why you see at the very end of this in verse 43, look at what he says. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. You know what kingdom means? It, 
It is communicating the reign of God, the authority of God. I must proclaim that God has rights over everything. And that's good news for you. That He has rights over your life. And that to the degree that you seek to lead your own life and not submit to His wonderful rule and reign, it will lead towards bad news for you. The good news is, Jesus is in charge, and that is life for you. Now, what, does he have, what did his word go out, and what did it communicate that he had authority over? Well, what is he doing? First of all, verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. He began by communicating his word. Why would he do that? Because he has authority over the human heart. We see it in Luke chapter 5. Just a few verses later, this is the authority. Look, but that you may know that the Son of Man has what? Authority on earth to do what? Forgive sins. That's what he could do. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. So why would he proclaim the word in the synagogue so that it would go out in power? He was proclaiming and preaching this good news because he had authority over the human heart. He could change the human heart with his word. What else did he have authority over? Let's zip back to the beginning of, the, of these verses we were reading. Look at verse 33. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? It's a demeaning term. You're just from Nazareth. You're just from a small, podunk town. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus did something. What's the next word say? Jesus what? Rebuked. To rebuke is to use a word to say I've got authority. With his words, he showed authority over demons. Be silent and come out. He is able to proclaim and demons leave. We see later on when he goes to Simon's house and his mother-in-law is there with a high fever. Look at verse 39. And he stood over her and what's the next word? Rebuked the fever. Word. His word had authority in the synagogue. His word had authority over demons. His word had authority over fever. And it immediately left her. And then, verse 41, And demons also came out of many, as many were being brought to him to be healed. There were also some who also had demons. Let's make sure that we see the distinction that's being made. Look at verse 40. Now when the sun was setting... All those who had many, had any who were sick with various diseases were brought to him and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many. This, there's a camp out there that wants to say all sicknesses related to demon kind of indwelling, okay? Here this is set apart as two separate things, disease and demonic activity, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that the devil doesn't have a role in sickness in our world. I get that. He does. But here you have diseases and you have demonic activity. And with the demonic activity, what does he do in verse 41? But he 
rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. He has that kind of authority over your life. He can speak and you will not be able to talk. He can, with the snap of a finger, he could have removed Howard from prison. Clap of a hand. All sickness that characterized this church would be, could be taken away. And that's what feels like a punch in the gut. It hurts because you think, well, why doesn't he do it? And then our logical minds begin to say, well, if he's got the authority and he doesn't do it, he's not good. I wrestled with this a lot growing up. When I became a parent, began to see that my precious little kids will call foul on what I do all the time. It's part of being a child. Now, I'm an imperfect daddy, and so I do things imperfectly. But our precious Savior doesn't do one thing imperfectly. He doesn't see through clouded lenses whatsoever. And He has all authority where mine authority is limited. And yet I still will command things and act in a certain way because I know it's for their good even though they cannot understand it and they rail against it. And if I can experience that with all of my limited faults and me as a sinner, then the response to the authority of God is that we follow his leadership and trust that he knows what is best for us. We wouldn't write the script that way. But when people come to faith because a man is wrongly accused and put in prison, God has a purpose. When our faith is willing to throw in the towel because, honestly, we just really wanted somebody to listen to us and we wanted a more comfortable life, and he comes, Howard comes and shares his testimony and shares, I've been wrongly accused and imprisoned for 23 years. All of a sudden, my comfort and his imprisonment, they're not equal. The Bible says when God comforts you in your affliction, He does that so that you would be instruments in His hand to comfort others in their affliction. So that you might be able to see the Father of all comfort and the God of all mercy. God's Word possessed authority. What does it look like to submit and to follow God's authority? It means, first of all, that you obey His Word fully. You obey His Word fully. Number two, it means that you submit everything to him. All of life is his. That's what it means to follow his authority. But also, when you've tried your hardest to change somebody's mind, you've tried your hardest to make something go a different way, and it didn't go a different way. 
What does it look like to follow God's authority? It means that you can trust His sovereign rule over the universe and over your life. It means that you don't have to be in despair. You don't have to fret about being able to convince that person who made that wrong decision that it was wrong. You don't have to fret over making sure that people know that you were right and you didn't do anything wrong. You're going to allow God to do that. There's a sense where we submit to God's authority. And sometimes that means things don't go like we want them to go or even in just ways. But we can still follow Him and trust His authority. But not only that, we can trust His power. We can trust His strength. So authority is, I'm in charge over this region. Power is, the strength that I use to exercise my authority. Do you follow that? It is, it is his might, his ability. Authority is, I have jurisdiction over the entire universe. Power is the strength that I exert to govern the entire universe. The reason I know they're two separate things is because verse 36 and they were all amazed when he had cast out this demon and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. With authority, I'm in charge of you. And with power, I do it. He has power over demons. He has power over high fevers. He has power over various diseases. His power is not limited. Do you see what he did with this demon? He commanded this demon to come out, and it came out. Do you see what he did with the fever? He said, fever, stop, and it stopped. Do you see what he did in verse 41? He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. He says this far and no further. We must plead for God to help us to come, become comfortable with how big He is and how in control He is so that we can trust Him to handle whatever's happening in our lives. The issue of Him having power over these things is so that we would not be tempted to fall into the trap of the devil to say He's not powerful enough to change. So if we trust his authority means that we follow his leadership even though we can't understand everything. Then to trust his power is to then engage him in prayer that he might exercise his power to do delivering work in our lives. You follow that? If he's in authority, we follow him. If he's all-powerful, then we go to him asking him to move. We believe he's in charge, and now we believe his, as what Isaiah says, his arm is not too short to save. He's not lacking in power. And so we pray, we call out to God to change our marriages. 
We call out to God to bring unity in broken relationships. We call out to God, yes, for physical healing in the lives of those who are plagued by disease or who are diagnosed with cancer. We ask God to bring comfort when you lose a loved one. We ask God to spare a child's eye when she accidentally gets it poked, as one of our little children did over the past several weeks. We unite together to pray that God would change hearts and save people. We pray that God would comfort parents and keep them trucking in the faith and shepherding children from one generation to the next. We pray because we believe He is not only in charge, but He's got the power to do something about it. If we trust His authority, we follow Him. If we trust His power, we call out to Him. Oh, that God would make this church characterized by prayer because we would be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he, His arm is not too short to save. And as Howard testified earlier in the testimony, it might be a 23-year prayer. And it could be a prayer that you pray until the day you die. Hear this. Some of us, I think, miss this. We are not promised safety and health. It is not a right that we have. The right that we have as sinners before an almighty and holy God is death and eternal damnation. That is the right that we bring to the table. Everything else is a gift. We come to the table thinking it is our right to be safe and it is our right to be healthy. And so when those things are pushed against, whether it's a common cold or a life debilitating disease, we begin to call not only foul, which is fine because it's a broken world and we don't want it. It's fine to hate brokenness. But don't hate God in the process. Hate a broken and unjust world. That is right. But our great God has not messed up. He has not fallen short on His promises. And He promises that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear any evil because what? Can anybody finish it? He is with you. Say it again. He is with you. Make it personal. He is with me. He's with you. With all authority and with all power. He is with you. So why? Why has Luke labored here in these verses to tell us that he's got authority over demons and that he's got authority over sickness why has he given us this these list of verses to show that he's more powerful than these things? Why has he done that? Why go through these healing things? Because he wants us to see and have a keen eye towards the hurting, towards the poor. Do you remember just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, I came to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor are those who find themselves in all kinds of, not just financial straits, but all the things that contribute to that, which would be sickness. 
The first reason why he mentions this here is because, number one, to make it clear that he is the Messiah. To show Jesus as Messiah. Why is this chunk of text here? It's to show that he is Messiah. He is fulfilling all the promises that were made about the Messiah. That is, that he would preach the good news of the kingdom and it would be accompanied by physical signs of the kingdom. Physical signs of healing. And so, in a unique and wonderful and large amount kind of way, there was healing happening all over the place. He can still do it, but let's don't deny the fact that this is also unique in this season. Jesus is walking among them. But number two, not only does it confirm that Jesus is the Messiah, number two, it helps his followers see their own heart. You remember this? From what we said last time. Why does God want us to have a keen eye towards the poor? Because it teaches us about us. It teaches us about us. When you go up to someone and they are debilitated by a, a demon and they could not get out from underneath this oppression, it is we are helpless in our hearts. That's what you look at this verse and you say, I'm helpless. I cannot fix myself. I need someone from outside of me to change me. That's why he lists this here. When he goes to the high fever and she's sick, it's meant to say we are spiritually sick. And God has power over our spiritual sickness. When it seems like we are limited in power, he wants us as we draw near to the poor to be able to say God is not limited in power. The more we connect with the poor, the more we see our own hearts. That's why he includes it here. All of these healings show the fact that they were needy and he is not. And number three, why did he include this passage here? It's to show the heart of the Father. This is the greatest objection to why you don't normally pray if you feel like God is in authority and he's got all power. Well, you don't go to him because you don't believe he's good with the power, right? Let's be honest. Stick with me. I believe he's in charge of the universe. I believe he's not too short to save and he's all-powerful. I just don't believe he's good because goodness wouldn't allow what happens to me to happen. That's the narrative. And yet we miss what Luke wants us to be overwhelmed by in this moment. You see how we can make this so cerebral, so in the head that we miss what he's doing. He's delivering people from years of oppression. Who does that kind of thing? Only a God who is compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He looks at a sick woman and he says, I don't want that high fever to be over you anymore and I'm going to speak and it's going to happen. Who does that? One who is good and gracious and kind. He is a healer, and he delights to heal, and he uses his authority to bring life. We not only are to trust his authority and his power, but we are to trust his goodness. What is the kind of news that he's proclaiming? Look at verse 43. I must preach the good news. He's about proclaiming his victory over sin, Satan, and death and his ability to deliver all people at the end of all things into the presence of his Father. That's good news for sinners. And the greatest need we have is to be saved 
from eternal destruction. And so he is good. He is good in all he does. But as I shared with one gentleman in the hospital who was just diagnosed with cancer, and yet we prayed. We prayed for the surgery. We prayed that they would be able to get the cancer. We prayed for that he would get sleep. We prayed for all kinds of specific things. And when I went to visit him after the surgery was over, we saw God answered prayer. God answered prayer. God answered prayer. God answered prayer. But he still has cancer. And as I sat there with him, I said, the devil is going to want you to forget all the goodness of God in this moment and to set your mind upon the pain or upon the tragedy. But what I pray you're able to do is to listen to Psalm 145 and to set your mind upon his wonderful work. Listen to Psalm 145. It's what I read to him in the hospital. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation, his role in that hospital bed is to want to have life go from one generation to the next. And it says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I'm going to set my mind upon God's wondrous works. That's what I'm going to meditate on. Friends, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Don't allow the devil to fool you to think that he's in charge or that he's more powerful or that he's got a better path. No, God is in charge and he is fully powerful to do whatever is best for us and he promises that he is good. If he did not spare his only son, hear that. When you begin to question the goodness of God, go to the cross. He slaughtered his only son for us so that we would not have to cry foul on his goodness and love ever again. May we meditate, and it'll take work, upon His glorious splendor, upon His majesty, upon His wondrous works. So what are you consumed with? What fills your mind? I'm asking you to dive into the deep end of God's authority and follow His leadership. I'm asking you to dive into the pool of God's power and pray. Pray and ask Him to exercise that power. Wanting God's kingdom to come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Incite Him. Call out to Him. And I'm asking you to go hard and dive in to the pool of God's goodness. And lean not on your own understanding, but meditate on His goodness. Have you ever been in a pool? I know some of us hate to swim. But have you ever been in a pool? Whenever you're at a community pool, it's crazy noisy. It's like, ah, like this. And when your head goes under the water, all of a sudden, you don't hear the noise very much. And if you're under there long enough, what you can hear is you can hear, you can hear yourself. This is the image that came to me as I was riding my bike this week. 
This is what we need. We need to dive in and to be enveloped by the goodness of God. That's what Luke is wanting us to see. God is so good to heal. He is so good to do great things. He wants us to be washed and to be completely covered so that the noise of the world and the noise of the devil would grow strangely dim and the voice that we would hear would be the voice of the good authoritative word of God. May God do that. And may we walk in trust. He's fully trustworthy and he loves you. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in these moments we would see the big picture. We would see the big picture that this passage is meant to communicate your love and your goodness. So please, God, sweep over us with your goodness. Cover us with your love. Help us to delight in your authority. To delight in the fact that you are in charge and not seek to take it from you. Father, please, help us, I pray. Set our minds right now upon you. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Let's continue to pray.